All right, men. It is 6.30. Let's come back together for our final time of the semester. That's right. If you have missed the memo somehow, this is, uh, this is our last week of gathering together on a weekly basis for Men of the Word. Um, this marks week 10 of, of our spring semester here and uh, week 20 of our study of Acts. So we are and, and chapter 28 is done. There's no chapter 29, so we are done, y'all. So um, I hope this means that you will not stop studying the Bible and stop reading the Bible. Um, one of the intentional reasons why we do this seasonally as a church is, is really to um, hand you off not to doing nothing, but to, to doing things yourself. You know, uh, it, it's important to be trained in how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, um, but it's also really important that you know how to do that on your own. Um, and so the, the tools that you've, you've picked up as we've gone through this process, I hope that you'll uh, put them to work. You may not have a, a book. Um, you're welcome to go buy some. There's great other options out there. But, uh, but even if you don't have one, grab, grab a Bible, grab a blank journal, and uh, ask yourself some of the questions that this, this book has taught you to ask. You know, the, I love the way that they've uh, approached um, uh, writing this book because they do some real simple questions, fill in the blank here. What does this word mean? Look it up. Um, they're, they're teaching you tools to use when studying the Bible. If you see a word you don't know, get a dictionary or grab Siri and, and look it up. You know, if, if, you, uh, if you see a word repeated, kind of circle them and, and, and track what's going on there. Um, before you start reading a book, grab a Grab a study Bible and, and read through the introduction of, you know, good study Bibles have introductions to every single book, and they'll tell you the big themes. They'll tell you the things that, that you should be paying attention to as you, as you read it. You know, I want all of you to, uh, to learn to do all these things on your own, because you're going to need to teach, Lord willing, if He gives you children, your, your children to do this, uh, your grandchildren, other men in our church. Um, God's called us to be men of the Word, and so... Uh, Though the, the 20 weeks of our time in Acts are coming to an end, I hope it won't stop you from, uh, from doing some of this on your own. Keep, you know, it takes a, a whole year for a tree to push out one little ring on that, on that trunk. Um, it's a lot of time simmering in good soil, good water before the growth comes, but it comes. So be, be diligent, family, and, and reading the Word. Psalm 1 talks about you know, we're, we're to be like a tree with the Word planted in there and soaking up the, the nutrients, soaking up the water, and growing in, in season, bearing fruit in season. So, so uh, keep studying. If you want to study together, feel free to do that as well. I know we've put you at some tables trying to help you build some relationships. Uh, you know, one of Satan's greatest tactics for destroying you and, and um, sort of blowing up your life, getting you blind to sin, getting you blind to uh, your own foolishness, is to get you all by yourself. So, um, a lot of you are in missional community groups. You have some community that way. But for those of you who aren't, and all of us are heading into summertime when there's just an intentional break from MCs in our church, uh, you know, you might want to circle up with some of the guys at your table and be like, hey, y'all want to get together at Waffle House instead? Uh, uh, Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. are still going to be clear for all of us. So uh, y'all do what you want. But, um, but, but don't give up these habits. They've been important. One other housekeeping thing, and then I'll pray. We'll jump in. Is... Um, uh, we're having another men's prayer breakfast on May the 6th, so that's not this Saturday, not next Saturday, but the following one, um, two and a half weeks from now. would love to have you guys join us, as always, as we gather to pray together as the men of Emmaus. Um, seek the Lord, seek His face. Um, it's free. You just got to let us know you're coming uh, so we can prepare for food. So I'll throw the link. I'll, I'll do summary email today or tomorrow, 
out to all of you guys, and um, the link will be in there if you like to join us. If you want to bring your sons or some friends, feel free to do that. Um, so with that, let me pray for us. God, we, uh, we thank you for um, just, uh, I feel like I say this phrase every single time we gather, but I mean it. We thank you for the opportunity to, to gather, the, the chance to gather in your name as brothers and, and to um, be edified by that, that sharpening that happens when, when men sit around a table with one another. And um, Lord, as this season comes to a close, I, I do pray, Father, that the good things that have started here would not uh, stop, that, that the brothers in this room, they might not have a, a book to guide them through, but that they would um, have some discipline, some self-control to uh, wake up early, point their eyes to your book, and, and continue to study and follow you, Lord. You have given us in your word all things that we need for life and for godliness. Uh, the scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation. They're profitable for equipping us for every good work that you've prepared for us to do, for training us in righteousness, for rebuking us when we're in sin. They, they Like a good sword, it divides us and opens us up and lays us bare and exposed before you to where you can cut out the malignancies that exist in our hearts. So, Lord, would your word keep being an anchor in our life? Would we not um, be storm-tossed by the, the culture and the things that we face uh, each and every day would we be anchored with you in your word, and uh, would you continue to grow us in that way, Lord? I pray for these men in the room right now, Lord, would you um, in, instill in them these disciplines so that they might grow mature, so that our church can grow mature. Lord, would you uh, bless them, bless their families, and would you guide our time this morning as we conclude things? It's in your name we pray all this. Amen. All right, uh, narrative overview. This week we were in 27 and 28, our last two chapters here of the book of Acts. Um, and in it, Paul, as you saw, makes his final journey, uh, the final journey of his life that we have a record of. There is some debate about what happens after he gets to Rome. You know, Acts sort of ends abruptly there uh, at the end of 28. We're told he spends two years in Rome. We don't know what happens after that. Um, but church tradition has some records that we can, we can point to. Uh, we're, we're fairly confident that he died in Rome, um, either right as this book is ending, uh, and, and Luke just left that out, intentionally chose to not include uh, Luke's death in, in the story, or uh, about two years after this was written. So most likely this was written in 62 AD. That's the timeline when the history stops. Um, we're, we're very confident of that. Um, and the most likely scenario is that Paul was killed under the persecution of Nero in Rome in 64 AD. So um, our suspicion is that Paul lived on for two years. Luke wrote this before Paul had died. That's why you don't see his death in there. Um, but we really don't know. Um, some people speculate that, that Luke was able to make further journeys. Um, uh, even some people uh, speculate that he went to Spain and did some church planting and gospel work there. Uh, the likelihood of that is very low. We know for a fact from the biblical record, this is uh, Romans chapter 16, that he wanted to go to Spain. He had ambitions of going to Spain and, and, and carrying the gospel there. Um, but by all you know, reasonable accounts, we believe that he died there in Rome. But uh, he made his final journey. This is what that journey looked like. He's in prison the whole time. As you know, he was sort of at the outset there in chapter 27. He's delivered uh, you know, from Festus, the... The, uh, the, the guy in charge there in Judea, over to this Roman centurion named Julius, and he begins this journey to, to Rome. He's appealing to Caesar. He's going to be taken before Caesar. Um, and they sort of hug the coast. They're on a boat. They port in and out of some cities there. Um, the red line is, is where they're tracking. When they get over to Asia, sort of right there below Ephesus, um, 
they have a decision to make because it's it, we're told it's late in the year it's unlikely that that boats would make that hard long journey over to rome um, over to italy um, that time of year there are a lot of storms that happen on the sea that time of year so most people would port but they're trying to get there they're they're you know uh, julius has his orders so um, they decide to sail it's so windy they can't get across the sea so it says they go under the lee of Crete. They're trying to hide from the wind and, and sort of scoot by. They go to Salmon. It's, we're told they, they end up in Fair Havens, and that's where the big debate happens. They say, okay, we're going to keep going. There's a, there's a gentle breeze that we think we can get there. Uh, we'll try to beat the weather. And Paul says, I think we're all going to die. I have this feeling that it's not a good idea. Um, and they're like, well, who are you? You're just a church planner. You're just a pastor. Uh, we're, we're sailors. We've been doing this our whole life. So they, they trust themselves. They ignore Paul. And that big squiggly line is the big storm. So, and, and note, all they're, try- they're actually not trying to get all the way to Rome at that point. When they're in Fair Havens, it says they just want to get to Phoenix. So like they're just trying to get to the other side of the island where there's a bigger port, a safer port for the boat during the winter storms. They want to sort of have a port that's hidden from the wind. So they're not even trying. They, they know it would be foolishness to go all the way to Rome uh, that time of year. But they, they, even that short journey, Paul advises against them. They do it. They get blown. This, it says the nor- northeaster comes over the island. So sort of down from Greece, down from the Black Sea, this big storm. Um, if, you, if you did the, the looking up the words in the... NIV, you saw that that same word, northeaster, could be uh, a hurricane or a typhoon. So just an unimaginable storm. And for two weeks, they're, they're tossed and turned, and they shipwreck on Malta, which is way over there. So uh, you can see, they're trying to get to Phoenix. They end up on Malta. It, wasn't, it didn't go according to plan. Um, but God had purposes in it, as you saw. You know, the, uh, along the way, they're, they're hopeless. They are totally convinced they're going to die. And, and an angel appears to Paul and gives him this message that they won't die, that everyone will survive. Um, and that is exactly what ends up happening. So God, even in the midst of this storm, is able to sort of uh, use Paul for this incredible um, uh, glimpse of, of his power, keeping everybody alive unto, uh, unto Malta. Um, they land on Malta. They do some amazing uh, ministry there. Paul shakes off a viper off of his hand. That's a cool story. Uh, they heal the, the chief man on the island, Publius. His dad is, is sick, and, and they end up healing him. The whole island hears about this power that Paul has. Um, we're not told of any speech that Paul gives, but what do we know about Paul? What was he likely saying on Malta through all this? Yeah, he's sharing the gospel. Uh, this is an incredible gospel moment. Who knows? Maybe he left behind a little... Little church plant, even as he's imprisoned, he's still a church planter there on Malta. So uh, amazing work of God, even in the midst of these storms. And, and you know, speculative, you never quite know what God's up to, right? We know God's providence is in control of things. Um, but even seeing this story, you can see God had purposes in the storm. He had purposes for Malta. He had to get Paul to Malta. Um, he had purposes for Publius, and for Publius is his dad. And it's a hard word to say. Don't name your sons that. But... Um, but anyways, they, they end up on Malta, and the last leg of the journey is pretty easy. They stay there for three months <laughs> through the wintertime, and then they head up um, a few ports along the way, but they end up in Rome, uh, where we catch the last part of Paul's life that we have a record of, uh, which is he spent two years there. He, he has this moment of witnessing to the Jews. You saw that in, in chapter 28, and then uh, just a two-sentence summary there at the end. The book concludes explaining he lived there for two years, welcoming everyone who came to him, 
you know, proclaiming and teaching, you know, continuing to do the work of the ministry. So that was, that was uh, what, what was covered in our last little chapters there. Major themes, as we always cover. Um, and again, you know, one of our goals in studying uh, the way we do here is to get this, whatever book we're studying, to get it down in your bones. We want you to know it for the rest of your life, what Acts is about. So what is Acts about? We saw it again this week. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, great and powerful work. Uh, displayed this week. I see it in a few ways. The favor granted to Paul. Did you notice just how uh, gracious God was to to have Julius sort of enjoy Paul and be kind to Paul? He treated him kindly. We see several examples of that. Um, you also see the work of the Holy Spirit giving Paul this prophetic uh, insight, these glimpses of the future that they will die uh, when they reach or, or if they if they go on this ship. And then even as they're supposed to die, he, he gives them this great news that they're going to be saved. Um, the, the powerful miracles that happen, that everybody survives the shipwreck that shouldn't have happened. Um, the, the, the shaking off of the viper. If you're bitten by a viper, you should die. All the, the Malta people are just staring at Paul, waiting on him to die. But work of the Holy Spirit, man, he, a miracle happens there. And then, of course, the miracles that Paul does, healing all these people of diseases on Malta. Paul would not, you know, we know his, his track record. There's no way he would have said, it's me. I'm the, I'm the powerful one here. In every instance of healing, he would have been pointing the people to God, um, rightly so, because it's God who worked those miracles in him. Uh, so Holy Spirit, absolutely see that. Uh, witnessing for Christ, definitely. Holy Spirit sort of enables that. We can speculate that it happened on Malta, like I mentioned. We can speculate um, that with these sailors and with the, the other prisoners, Paul did that. Um, absolutely, we know clearly Paul did some great uh, testifying to Christ on the ship, you know, as he's, he's calling them to have faith in God because he has faith in God. God's told him that they won't pass away. So that's a great witnessing opportunity. But then you also see it in chapter 28 once he gets to Rome. You know, he witnesses to the Jews. He calls the Jews to himself and proclaims the gospel to them. They refuse to believe. And so he, he continues work with the Gentiles after that. But yes, Paul uh, magnifies, shows himself to be a great a witness of Christ through this work of the Holy Spirit. Um, development of the church, again, this one has sort of gone under the scenes uh, here at the end of the book of Acts. Um, you don't see much development of the structures and the authorities and the systems of the church. Um, but I'll just again show you the caveat. Paul, through all these imprisonments, was writing Scripture. He was writing epistles. He didn't necessarily know he was writing Scripture at the time. Uh, these were just letters to some of the churches that he had planted. Um, but these are the ones that we know were written by Paul during these final few years of his life. We don't know if they were in Caesarea or if they were in Rome, but the prison epistles are, are, are the following. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Hebrews, if Paul wrote Hebrews. There's some debate about that, but... Um, but if he wrote it, so nine different books of the Bible written during this, this uh, season, I, I think we can call that development of the church for sure. Um, salvation history, yes, absolutely you see that. Unity with the Old Testament, um, mainly while he's debating with the Romans, uh, the Jews there in Rome uh, in chapter 28. You know, he's trying to convince them of Jesus, it says, from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. He quotes Isaiah to them there. So again, Jesus is not a a sect that's di divergent and strange from Judaism. It's the true path. It, Jesus was the Messiah the Old Testament points us to, and, uh, and Paul again and again shows us that. And then last, evangelization of the nations. Absolutely. Uh, don't underestimate you know, what's happening here as the gospel reaches Rome. That's significant. I mean, the Roman Empire was the strongest, most powerful empire that had ever existed on the face of the earth at that time. Um, and, and the fact that the gospel is now going to be taken before Caesar himself, and proclaimed before the, the, the most powerful man on the planet. 
is, uh, is incredible. It's something to, to see as, as the gospel has um, you know, transformed itself in such a powerful way uh, uh, through, through the world in this book. You know, uh, and just to sort of summarize this, I know we're at the end of the book, so it's worth contemplating. Remember where we started. I, I, some of you didn't do Acts Part 1 with us last fall, but for those who did, where did we start in Acts chapter 1? How many believers were there? 120, we're told, that, that were gathering together in that upper room. There were the 12 or the 11 apostles, the 11 disciples, um, and then some, some women, some brothers, some, some other believers. So 120 in total. And how many cities, how many countries on the planet were they in? One. They were all together in one place. Had, you know, that building exploded. There goes the Jesus movement. It's over. Uh, it was tiny. It was, it was less than a service at a It was half the size of a service at a maze church. I mean, a tiny little movement. And in the course of just this one book, we have seen the gospel radically expand. And how has it happened? This is the point of the book of Acts. The church grows through the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the people of God so that they become witnesses of God's grace and save people who then become witnesses, new witnesses, who keep saving people. The book of Acts is still ongoing, family. Like, we're, we're way out here in, in 2023 in Buford, Georgia. How did we get the gospel? This is our history. Like, we're not divergent from this at all. That's, in fact, we're, we're part, Mays Church is a part of, we're a non-denominational church, but we're affiliated with a, with a church planning network called the Acts 29 Network. And they name it that. There's no chapter 29. They name it that to sort of symbolically show we're just trying to live out what we see in the book of Acts. We're trying to continue to plant churches and continue to be the church of Christ today. Um, this is the same work God's still up to today. We're, we're still a part of this. Um, and, and I just want you to, to, to feel that. Let that seep down into your bones. Um, have a clear view of the church, her purpose, her calling, and her power. Because God has not called us and saved us to just sort of live out our lives on a cruise ship for Jesus. You know, th this life is meant to be warfare. We're to be the church of God in a dark world. Exactly what Pastor Anson talked about on Sunday. We're, we're lights in the midst of darkness, um, shining for Him, uh, pushing back darkness with the message of reconciliation with God. This is what our lives are, are to be about. Um, and clearly in the book of Acts, these, these men in the early church lived their lives powerfully for that end. Uh, so, all that to say, have eyes for this. I keep living that out, men, in your own lives. Um, and I took a lot of time there to cover all that. So, uh, we'll fly through our teaching content. Got three points for you, as always. Man, I'm a Baptist through and through. So, um, can't change that. Uh, I, was, I was debating long and hard about what to cover today, uh, which, which themes to draw out. But... Um, but what I want to do is, is look at Paul. Um, all of Acts 2 has been about Paul. We've been zeroing in on him and his journey, and we've seen a lot of incredible things about him. But I see three big qualities in him this week that I think we should emulate, that, that, that are worthwhile for us to uh, examine. And there's stuff that has been, been true about Paul the whole time, uh, and here at the end they're just um, highlighted again. So let me show you th these to you, uh, three things about Paul. Number one, Paul was a man of serious prayer. Without any question, you know, he's this incredible church planner, faithful apostle, used by God to write scripture. He did some amazing miracles, pushed the gospel further into the dark world than anybody before him. But under all of that, what I want you to make sure you're seeing, it's on display in our passage this week, um, the rock under his feet was Jesus, and his relationship with Christ was defined by persistent, selfless, 
serious prayer. Um, this has been mentioned throughout Acts at several occasions. I did sort of a word study uh, this week as I was examining this. Remember back in Antioch where he was pastoring uh, when, when our journey began, he was leading the church in prayers. In fact, it was a prayer meeting when the Holy Spirit sets apart Paul for this new work. Um, so he was a man of prayer, led his church to be praying. On that first missionary journey, we're told he prayed with the elders. He established elders in every city he went, and he prayed with them before he, he left. So he's praying along the way. On the second journey, remember he gets to Philippi. He goes and meets the women, and he prays with them. They're having a prayer meeting down there. That's where Lydia gets saved. Um, and then he and Silas are praying together in, in the jail when the, the Philippian jailer gets converted. On the third journey, he prays with the elders in Ephesus. Again and again, he's just praying. This is who Paul was. He's a man of prayer. But I see it uh, today in a, in a really powerful way, and I want you to, uh, to see this as well. Um, this shows up really two verses that together show us this. First, verse 10. Look with me, 27, verse 10. Uh, when they are trying to make this journey to Phoenix, you know, uh, they're in Fair Havens. They want to go to Phoenix for the winter. And Paul says, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Don't miss that last part. Also of our lives. The Holy Spirit has given Paul a glimpse of what's coming and what is coming for him. Death. You know, we don't know what this glimpse was. Was it a dream? You know, does he have some question about whether or not he'll die? Perhaps. Maybe, maybe he's not totally confident in what the prophetic glimpse that he had was. But his instincts, whatever he saw, whatever he was told by the Lord, his instincts is, we will all die if we do this. And they do it anyways. So what is Paul doing the whole time while this journey is happening? He's praying. Now, it's not told that explicitly, but I'll prove it to you. Look at verse 24 now. When he, they're in the midst of the journey, they've all lost hope on this two-week storm. Um, and he says, verse 23, for this very night, you know, he, he's, he's saying, take heart, everybody. This very night stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong, to whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all who sail with you. I love that word granted. That tells us a lot, family. Granted is not an independent verb. It is a, it's the secondary verb. Paul was petitioning, and it was granted by God. The whole time, Paul was praying. And look what he was praying for, not just himself, that he would survive. God has granted you all those who sail with you. He was begging God to save Julius and all these prisoners and all these Romans who were with him. God, save us. Don't let us die. These people need you. They'll die in their sins. You know, Paul was, was persistent and fervent in prayer. I can just have this, this image of him. You know, Storms happen in life. Matthew chapter 7 teaches us this. We just studied this uh, in Luke as well. That same parallel passage appears. When the winds come and the, 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 uh, the storm arrives in your life, you, you don't want to topple. You don't want to be built on sand. You want to be built on the rock. Well, the rock is Christ. The rock is obedience to God and His Word. Well, Paul, the way he clung to the rock was through prayer. When the storm was happening, the way he, he manifested his persistent uh, dependency on God was through prayer. Uh, he prays fervently. He prays selflessly. He, pr he prays persistently. And amazingly, God grants the request. And he sends an angel to tell him, uh, gives this amazing word of comfort, which, which he's able to share with the other sailors. Um, yeah, prayer, prayer is powerful, man. And I just, I just don't want you to miss that. Like this, it's easy for the book of Acts to stir up longing in our hearts for God to do things like this in our day. Like we live in a very dark culture with a lot of problems all around us. We'd love to see this kind of evangelism work playing out in our day. But don't miss that God has means by which this stuff happened in the book of Acts. And prayer is one of them. 
God has ways by which he does his work in this world. Prayer is one of the the primary ones. Uh, The Holy Spirit works in power, but he does this as his church prays. Um, One of my favorite quotes of all time is is from uh, Charles Spurgeon. This hangs by my by my, uh, my desk so that I remember to pray uh, as I go about ministry. But, but Spurgeon once said, said this, Oh, without prayer, what are the church's agencies? Which means like uh, ministries, offices, powers. Um, what are the church's agencies? But the stretching out of a dead man's arm or the lifting up of a, a lid of a dead man's eye. Only when the Holy Spirit comes is there any life and force and power. He's basically saying we can do everything to the best of our ability and all we're doing is taking dead men and and trying to lift up their eyelids. We can't save people, which I just want to, you got lost friends, maybe you have lost family members in your life. Let me me drive that point home. You cannot save them. Only God can save them. Only the Holy Spirit can bring the life and the force and the power to it. But he does that as we pray. He has not... He has not disconnected his work from the means by which his work happens. He's, a, he's called us to be a praying people, and his work comes in the midst of this. James chapter 4 talks about uh, you have not because you ask not. I think sometimes we can get lost in the, in the truth of the sovereignty of God to thinking that prayer doesn't matter. God, God's sovereign. He's, he's in control of everything. He'll do whatever he wants to. That's true, but his purpose for doing good things is the prayers of his people. And so James is not lying when he says, you have not because you ask not. If you would have prayed, you would have something different. I just wonder what would have happened on this boat if Paul had not prayed. Just say all that to to drive that home in your hearts, man. Let's be men of prayer. You know, Paul was a persistent prayer. He he prayed faithfully, seriously. Um, We've been called to serious work, so we should be men of serious prayer. Uh, Second thing here, Paul was a man of unimaginable suffering. (laughs) <laughs> unimaginable suffering, and I have given myself four minutes. Man, where did the time go this morning, guys? Um, okay, uh, this is in the boat. This is in the storm. Uh, we, we, you can read this account of what happens on that boat in about three minutes. It takes no time at all, but don't underestimate how painful this whole experience was for Paul. This was two full weeks. All the sailors, all the experts who have done sailing their whole life, they were. it says they had lost all hope of being saved. They had abandoned hope. They were not eating for two weeks. They don't eat, which if you have fasted, when I fast, I get cranky by about 5 p.m. Like it's, yeah. it's awful. So two weeks, they haven't eaten. It's, it's dark. They haven't seen the sun in days. Uh, and then they get shipwrecked at the end of this journey. Uh, the, the boat starts breaking apart. We know it's fall, late fall. We know it's early winter. So they're in freezing cold water as they get to shore. Finally, they get to shore. They're warming up. The people of Malta are so nice. They build them a fire. And what happens to Paul? He gets bit by a snake. Like, Paul, his whole life was suffering. And this is just a small glimpse. We've already seen in chapter 14, he got stoned and left for dead in, in uh, Lystra. In Philippi, he got rioted. The crowd attacked him, threw him in prison. In chapter 20, he's attacked in the temple, dragged out. They're seeking to kill him uh, there in Jerusalem when the tribune has to come and intervene. Um, And all of that uh, is just a few of the anecdotes we get in the book of Acts. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us a whole list of all the things he suffered. Catch this list. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all this, there's the daily pressure of me for my anxiety for all the churches. That was Paul's life. And this was written before this shipwreck. So this is his fourth shipwreck, y'all. Um, this, was, this is unimaginable suffering. And the big question I want you to have, and I almost have no time to even ask this, but is why? Like, if you're Paul, why do you not quit? Like, at what point are you just like, Lord, I've had enough. I'm ready to retire. Uh, I've served you. I've had three, three shipwrecks is good, Lord. Um, why on earth would he possibly keep doing this? I, I think he tells us in Philippians chapter 1. I'll just read this. And uh, we won't get to point three, but um, that's all right. Philippians 1, he says this. I want you to know, this is one of the prison epistles. He writes this after the shipwreck when he's in Rome. But I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it's become known through the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance, as is my eager, eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. Amen. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Commence to this, I know I will remain. Why did he suffer, y'all? He suffered for Jesus. He suffered even more specifically for Jesus' church. He kept suffering because he wanted... That the people that the Lord had called to Himself to hear the gospel, He wanted them to uh, to have faith in 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 the Lord. So He keeps giving His Himself over to all this pain in order to to see them come to faith. Um, that's why He endured all these horrible things. Um, that's why He still continued in ministry even after so many of them had already happened. He had His eyes fixed on heaven and He wanted to see the elect be saved. Uh, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. He was glad to suffer because He knew what He was doing it for. His life, this is just what I want you to see, Paul's life was not lived for this world. He was not, his eyes were not on building comfort here, building a good retirement plan, having a happy family with, with joyous kids. And I'm not saying those things are bad family, but what I am saying is God's called us to something specific. We do get peace forever. We do get eternity with Him forever. We do get eternal comfort and eternal pleasures forevermore. That's coming, but that's not intended to be this life. He's called us to be disciple makers here, to be witness, witnesses for Jesus. This is, this is the calling upon the entire church, us still today. So just as you order your life, would you, would you evaluate that? You know, where is suffering in your picture? And I'm not saying we go seek to suffer. We seek to proclaim Christ, and suffering is often a part of that process. But... But is your life only built upon the things of this world? Have you fallen asleep to the things of God? Are you in a drunken stupor, you know, drunk on the things of the world? Are the, are the cares of this world choking out your faith 
in the priorities that you have? Or, or has, has Christ, like Paul, become everything to you? Are your eyes fixed on heaven? Are you living for him? It's 7.02. I'm too late. So I'll, I'll stop there. Maybe I'll go in my office and preach point three for you guys. You can, I'll throw it on the podcast. You can listen to it. But, uh, uh, man, we get one life. We get one life. And uh, I think in Paul we see an example of a guy who went all in for Jesus. And I, I hope you will too. So uh, let's conclude. Lord, we thank you for Acts. We thank you for what we've seen. And uh, we thank you for the example of Paul. I pray for these men. I pray you'd give us eyes for the lost around us. Give us hearts for, uh, for faithfulness to your kingdom. And um, may, may your kingdom and your work be the priority of our lives, nothing else. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. Hey, Amen. As promised, wanted to um, come back and record that last point that we didn't get to this morning. I apologize for my... Um, verboseness took too much time on all the other points but uh but third point that i wanted to make concerning paul and what we see here in this last two chapters of acts was uh that paul was a man of persistent ministry um absolutely he was a man of prayer um you know praying selflessly for others absolutely he was a man of suffering spending his life no matter the cost for for jesus in the church but um, i just see here especially in chapter in chapter 28 that he was uh a man of persistent ministry. He never stopped serving. Um, he never stopped doing ministry, even to the very end. You know, after the shipwreck, he finally makes his way um, to Rome. Verse 17, he finally gets there. And he has this calling from God to proclaim the truth to Caesar, right? So he he has a purpose for his life. He has a even a missionary purpose, a ministry purpose lies in front of him. And, and I can just so imagine myself, and, and perhaps you can as well, sitting back while you're in prison there in Rome and, and just sort of preparing for your defense for Caesar, using your time towards that end, uh, enjoying some fellowship with other believers to be sure. But I probably would just focus my ministry heart upon the one thing that God has has put in front of me. But but not Paul. Look what he does. He, while he awaits his appeal and, and remains in custody awaiting his trial, what does he do? He does ministry. He first calls all the, the Jews of the city to himself, and he proclaims the gospel to the Jews first. These people who you know, God gave the law and the prophets to, to whom the Messiah came first, um, the Jews in Rome who had not yet believed in Jesus, he can't go to them. He's in chains, so he calls them to himself, and he seeks to persuade them. You know, he's persistent Paul. He's trying to convince them, says from morning until evening, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's, he's a long-winded preacher, as we've seen before, but he's persistent Paul, never stopping to do ministry. He takes this window of opportunity he has and leverages it for the kingdom by, uh, by creating this ministry opportunity. And, and, and they disregard his message. Like you know, they, they deny it, they debate amongst themselves, and they say, no, we don't believe you which so many Jews have done in every city he's done, um, every city he's been in before. So at that point, you know, you and I would probably sit down and chill and await the trial as well. But no, does he stop? Absolutely not. He, he keeps proclaiming the kingdom of God. Um, he calls other people to himself. Anybody who comes to him, it says he proclaims the kingdom of God, teaches about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Um, you know, that is how the book ends with Paul just leveraging every day, every moment that he has available to, uh, to share the gospel and to engage his life in ministry, which just shows us it's the point I'm trying to make. Paul was a man of persistent ministry. He never stops for him to live as Christ and to die as gain. If he, if he has breath, if he has life, 
He has another day on the calendar. He's going to continue to serve his king, pour out his life to see the saints come to faith. Um, and if there's no opportunity in front of him, he'll try to create one. You know, he just leveraged his life so fully for that. Um, so one more verse just to sort of show this. Um, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, one of my favorites. Um, he's describing his, this is also a prison epistle, and he's describing his heart in ministry. He says, Him, talking about Jesus, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works in me. So he self-acknowledges that he, he struggles mightily, he toils mightily. Um, it's all God's power working in him, but his goal is to warn everyone he can, teach everyone he can, present everyone that he can, mature in Christ. He's giving his life to see the elect come to faith, to see them grow in, uh, in godliness. So again, it, just how it concluded our time together, I'll, I'll just mention it again. You know, brothers, we get one life. We we get only one life, and then we get eternity with Christ. May we not build our lives around comfort and pleasure and our own self-indulgence. May we not just consider and plan things like vacations and celebrations and getaways. May we plan ministry. May we be thoughtful about leveraging our minds and our talents and our gifts and our lives to see the Holy Spirit pour out His power on us and, and make us bold witnesses of the gospel to the people around us. You know, who has God planted you among? Who are the brothers and sisters and and friends and neighbors and coworkers that, that God has, has placed you among? I'd remind you of what we saw back in Acts 17 where, where Paul teaches us that it's God who determines the times and the places where people will live. It's not without purpose that He has you know, planted you here in Buford, in, in Metro Buford here in 2023. He knows who your neighbors are. He knows who your coworkers are. He has purposes in all of that. Um, so let's honor that. You know, we have a great commission from our Lord. We're to make disciples. We're to carry the gospel to the lost. What Paul engages with here might feel like supernatural ministry, and, and certainly it is. I'm, I'm not discounting that, but it may feel like you know he's a superhero. He's the nobody can do that. That's beyond natural strength. We could never attain to that. But what I'm trying to just make sure you see as we conclude is that in, in a real sense, I think this is all of our calling. God might not use us all in as powerful of a way as he, he did with Paul. You know, Throughout time, he's raised up important and significant people to sort of lead his church and, and do profound ministry. So I'm not saying that you know God necessarily wants to do this with you, but I am saying without any question, he's called all of us, all of you, to be heralds of his gospel, to be ambassadors for Jesus, to be... Um, to be disciple makers. And so don't, don't be blind to that. Don't live your life just for this world. Have eyes like Paul for the next and, and engage your lives in ministry as well. Uh, that's everything, man. Really enjoyed this study with you all and uh, praying for you as we head into our off season. May the Lord plant you deeply in his word. May he um, feed you daily from it and may he grow you into great oaks of righteousness, mature and strong in the faith as you give yourself to it. Love you guys.